everyone, and welcome to the Leading in a Crisis podcast. On this podcast, we talk about all things crisis management with a special focus on leadership. We deliver this through interviews, storytelling, and lessons learned from experienced crisis leaders. I'm Tom Mueller in Houston. I'd like to welcome my co-host, Mark Mullen, who's joining us again from Bellingham, Washington. Hey, Mark. Hi, Tom. Happy to be here. Today's episode is a continuation of our conversation with Adam Wine, a 30-year veteran of the U.S. Coast Guard and a highly, highly experienced crisis responder. Let's pick up the conversation now. All right, um, Adam. So, hey, let's shift gears here for a second. Right. Let me pull you back a little bit and let's just talk about sort of the relationship between uh, the public information officer and the liaison officer. And those need to be really sort of tight knit relationships, right? When you're working a major incident, have you seen an incident where you really didn't have that kind of cooperation between those two core external facing teams and kind of what was the result of that? So everything that you need to do as a liaison officer, the JIC staff produces, and essentially you just have a different customer base that you provide that information to. So that individual as a liaison needs to be very much a partner and they, that individual and the PIO are a team that functions together provide information to do different audiences and they have to be tweaked, especially for the liaison officer, a certain way so that the stakeholders are um, feeling that they're getting information specifically geared to them, not just what the general public is getting. Uh, that was also one of the things where we realized that if you give information to any politician or group, politician or staff, that information will be released to the media at the politicians' beneficial discretion. In other words, whenever it's going to do them good so that they can sound like they know something ahead of time. So it, it was a little bit of a learning lesson when, when you first gave them a briefing thinking that they were going to hold this information until we released it. We literally asked them that. But the, the incident commander said, listen, I'm giving you this information. It'll be going out to the media uh, at my news conference at three o'clock and these politicians would inevitably upstage them and, and release it ahead of time. So we eventually developed the possibility that anything that we went to the stakeholders with would be information that we'd already gotten approval to go out to the public with just to avoid that. I'd say now I actually served now as a liaison officer and I worked directly with the Jake. All my, I, I would go directly to them as a, as a liaison officer and uh, just say, okay, I, I need your, your news release. I need your, oh, you know, this, this, and this. And I would put together my um, my little VIP packages. So that when I would escort the uh, various VIPs that were coming to visit around, I was handing them stuff. And all of it was generated by the, the JIC staff. There is no way to separate those two groups. They are, like I said, two experts dealing with two separate in uh, offices. That seems a good way to think about it is, is same much the same content, but just two different distribution channels. Right. And then the dance about how does the timing fit together on that? Because you don't want to give electors too much lead time, but you definitely don't want them asked by a media person for something they haven't heard yet either. So I think that's good, good advice to work as closely as you can with each other. 
Have you ever worked with somebody who was underperforming and that you had to actually move out of their position? Yes, uh, we, we get that. Sometimes the people who are underperforming were just they just didn't have the training. And then other times you have people who medically were uh, or age wise or something along that line or the, the stress had gotten too much to them. And um, the one that comes to mind right away is uh, Katrina. I had a, a staff of all volunteers working and they would come in and I would know I, I'd give I'd ask quick questions, find out what their skill set was, and they would go into particular jobs and since this was kind of a, a long uh, ongoing operation, it was very, very long hours. And you could see the um, the toll it was taking because most of our volunteers are retirees because they're the only people who have that time on their hand. And uh, it was wearing them down. And, and there were certain job performances and functions that were um, starting to really suffer. And I have to figure out how to tell this person who I've asked for a volunteer, they've come in on their own time to work to um, take a day off. I just kind of kind of bite the bullet to a certain extent. And says, "Listen, you've been fantastic, but you're you're at an exhausted level." And I would tell them, "These are the symptoms I've picked up. You need to take you know this many days down before you can come back to work." And I'll swap. I'm, I'm you know I'm bringing like, "Oh, I, I don't. I, I love being part of this. Yes, I understand, but uh, everybody has to get rotated out." Eventually, I mean, they stand pilots down. We were at an air station, Kodak, and pilots get stand down after a flight, after so many nights. You need to be stood down for this amount of time. And and, and that's one way of dealing with it. It was uh, that um, I had a, another guy that um, went off his medication while he was working for us and started acting very odd and mm. uh, very disruptive to the uh, operation. So I had to uh, stand him down as well. And I actually kind of had been counting on him. He had a lot of experience and I got a little, I was a little angry when I talked to him. I, you know, I said, you know, you are an experienced individual. You've got military background. What are you doing going off of your medication this way? And I, and I guess I did a little bit of shaming. He felt a little ashamed of what he had done. And I says, no, I've got to stand you down for several days uh, because of this. Um, and it comes from the incident commander you put out some information on uh, and he heard about it and I've got to stand you down for that. And other times I've had, um, I've even had PIOs that I've uh, had to recommend um, lots of times because I was um, senior enlisted or a warrant officer. They wanted a officer from, you know, Academy trained type officer to be the actual PIO. Now this individual has no training, no qualifications and no experience except for, they're an officer and they feel that since it says public affairs officer, that's who should be feeling it. So I would have these people who really didn't know their job, couldn't really function that I had to uh, pretend like they were in charge and, and just run things. And most of the time that they were intelligent, they just said, you know, Hey, sir, you know, or chief, just, just go with it. You run it. You tell me what I need to do. And that's good. But the other people would, um, some of these other officers of course they they've trying to uh i guess they were trying to do the job but they wouldn't ask you how to do the job and so they, they would uh just get cause trouble they would you know release information and it hadn't been approved thinking sir you can't release that information it hasn't been approved yet or uh you know set up 
uh, or do different things and yeah enough. that's a tough spot to be in because right. um hopefully you're getting somebody in there who's coachable right because we right. Uh, like the Coast Guard boosts people around quite frequently. And so you'll get people rotated in into a, an assignment like that, don't have a lot of experience. Usually there's somebody under them who does and helps coach through that. And I've seen that in some actual exercises where we had, you know, the senior Coast Guard person there, uh, but was brand new, didn't really know what was going on, but they listened to uh you know the junior officer and and things worked out just just fine so that's a huge challenge though and that's you know that's where the training comes in um you know both in you know for any agency or company you're working for it just highlights the need for training and people to understand these roles before they get in there yes yes absolutely we we would get um some of my challenges lots of times would be junior people who had gotten into the rate and they were, um, they liked writing and um, they would have like a background in English or even several cases, actually most of the cases, it was an English degree and they would try to write news releases. And you could tell by the love of their writing, you know, first off, they're using a vocabulary that was, uh, you know, exceptional except for you're talking to the average public. And if I have to look the word up, we're having a problem here, you know, and uh, I would have to rewrite their news releases. And I can remember at least one uh, young lady breaking down in tears, seeing how much I had to rewrite what she had. And, mm -hmm. and I said, no, it's like, uh, you know, brevity is beautiful. A true writer can write less and say more in the few words that they have. I, I think Samuel Clemens, the you know Mark Twain author, basically mm -hmm. said that. You know, if you can say something with less words uh, in, in writing, then that's an actual sign of an actual person who can truly write. And that would that was a lot of training, a lot of the editing that we'd get, especially if a lawyer came in and. Lots of times you would get that because of the um, responsible party wanted the lawyer involved. And if they did, if they said that, I'd say, okay, that person has to be in the JIC personally, not, not, not wandering around or anything. They have to be sitting in there with us. And, uh, oh, you know, you, you sure you want? Yes. I don't want that. And they go, you want a lawyer? No, I don't. Lawyers aren't really any useful for us. Uh, we are trying to put out information to educate the public. Uh, you write at a sixth grade level of education. The litmus test that we, I'd use for all the the, uh, the things that they wrote. I also used to make them read it out loud. Anything they wrote that was going to go public, and they, you know, you know, why, why, why do I got to do this, Chief or, or, or you know, uh, Mr. Wine? I says because if you read it out loud, if it doesn't sound right while you're reading it, it needs to be rewritten. So that's got to be one of the basic tests. You read it out loud, and mm -hmm. uh, if it if you stumble over the words or uh, and it doesn't make sense while you're reading it you need to rewrite it and write it so that you can do that. So Adam, if uh, thinking about, you know, different PIOs and liaison officers that you worked with, you know, we, we all work with uh, young people who are training to uh, take on these roles as PIO or deputy PIO or liaison officer. Um, as you're, as you think about it. So what do you, what are the, the characteristics that make for a good PIO and, and then, you know, we got to work on how we train people in that. But as you think about that, what do you, what's your sort of criteria for picking a good PIO? Oh, that's an interesting question. Cause I actually, we had to do, we have to do that as senior 
enlisted and uh, warrant officers in the Coast Guard, we people who are applying to become public affairs specialists have to go through a, a whole process for an interview. Because early on, I would just read the rules that says these people needed this scores uh, from their ASVAB tests and they needed to be able to achieve the following things. And I followed the letter of the rule. And some of the people that went to school based on that turned out to be, well, failures as PIPAs. And I learned that you went with the things that you you, you look and say, do I want this person to be on my staff? And so stuff I was looking for, strangely, they, they do require a certain amount of arrogance. I, it's, I know you can't have a humble person being your spokesperson or writing your information because they have to have a certain level of arrogance and confidence in their own skills and abilities. Otherwise, can do the job, you can put, create the information that the news release, whatever, but if you don't have the personal drive to push that thing through through approval, you'll never get it back in a timely enough manner so that you can actually release it out to the media. You also have to have that certain level of personality where you can talk to the media and to the community and get the information across. So you're looking for certain verbal and presentational skills. You're looking for a, uh, um, you know, of course, the basic journalistic skills uh, should be present, you know, being able to, to write and stuff. So with word processors and um, a lot of other th aids that are out there. I mean, there's even what the the AI now that you can mm -hmm. use, can, can you know, my, my son-in-law was trying to show it to me and tell me how great it was. And it turned out I was rather, I was impressed. You, you, you gave it some information in it. It turned out better than what my uh, uh, a lot of my junior people could produce in a short amount of time. Um, so uh, you, but you're looking for that the skill sets. I I'm not you know you don't they don't have to have them they have the they have the ability to um, willing to learn them. So I would call one of the biggest things they need is the ability to adapt and overcome the situation. Um, you're going to be hit with things that aren't covered in any kind of rules or job aid that are going to require you to adapt to the situation and make it work, whatever it's going to be. If you're out of, you're in a situation where you don't have um, electricity and power, how are you getting your information? Do you, do you have a way of dropping back to uh, writing the information and sending it to somebody who does have the information so that then they could text it to another individual who can write the news release? Ways of getting around, you know, uh, like in hurricanes, lots of times cellular use is very much restricted and not, um, and the general public can't really make calls and communications because they're using, uh, they secured the cell phone network for emergency uses only. So how do you get information out and back quickly mm -hmm. and adapting around all those types of situations? And I'm looking for a person who can do that. So, right. Confidence a little bit of arrogance, uh, your basic journalistic job skill sets. And I would say a number one is the ability to adapt and overcome in the situations you're dealing with. Don't let small stuff hold things up. Yeah. The, the adapt and overcome piece is it's gotta be critical when you're working in a crisis management yes. space, right? Because it's something a little different every day. And wow. I, I know uh, that I've seen, um, some folks that, you know, that we've had to demobilize uh, because they were sort of good at their jobs doing, you know, writing or public relations or whatever it was. 
But when you put them into that JIC setting where everything was sort of chaos and you had to be able to adapt and move quickly and adjust your expectations of what you're doing and what you're delivering, and they just couldn't quite mentally get there. And so, you know, we'd work for a couple of days and then just send them home um, because it was just taking too much of a, a stress load on them. So those are tough, but you you do find there are certain people that, you know, they're just not quite cut out for that. Or, you know, they come to you and they bring you a problem. Yes. Without solutions. Yeah. yeah. Right. That, that's I'll get your take on that. Um Adam, but you know, I, I've had people come to me, you know, and after the, like the third time they're bringing me a problem, I'm thinking, you know, it's probably time for you to go home because you're just not adapting here and you're not helping us find solutions and solve the problems. And that's what we need here. Yeah. What's your take on that? Well, a couple of things. You are correct. That is definitely true. Uh, during that Katrina operation, because I had so many volunteers, I, um, I would literally bring one in and I would find this person had a, a strong skill set in a particular area. And I would go, okay, you are now in charge of this section right here. Uh, this is your, I, I'd hand them a, 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 a you know, job aid out of the JIC manual. And I'd say, this is your basic core guidance. And you do everything you can with this. And if you can't solve what's there, then you can come ask me a question. And they go, they start to ask things almost immediately. I go, no, no, go do do as much as you can and then come back and ask me a question if you really need to, but come to understand because you'd always hear this. Well, how do you want it done? No, no, don't ask me how I want it done. I just want the product. I don't mm -hmm. need to know how you got there. And uh, I just need this product. And they, they so you're going to let me do this. Yes. And I was surprised, um, delightfully surprised about a lot of people love to work in, and, and be able to produce the final product. But they're so used to people telling them that they have to stay inside these particular lanes when they're doing it. And they, you know, you know, well, you, you, you could, you have to make this product, but you have to take this highway or whatever, you know, to, you've got to get from point A to point B, but you've got to take this highway. And that's the only way you can get there where they say, well, we could go around and we've got alternate means. Can I use alternate means? I was like that. I always wanted to, find if there was a better way to doing something and so i don't like i i when i did that in katrina i said i i, I don't have time to tell you how to get there mm -hmm. uh you produce a product for me you figure out how to get there and you come back and and if you're running into a roadblock you can't get by you come back and tell me and i'll i'll i'll, I'll see what we can do to get through it was incredibly rewarding that these the young folks that I was working with um, went off and did that and were able to come back and hand me a product. And then they would eventually want, of course, show me how they did it when I had time because they were so proud that they figured out how to uh, <laughs> get around all the roadblocks and over the, all the burned out bridges. And it was it's amazing what they were able to achieve, especially when they didn't have somebody breathing over their shoulder who said who was saying things like, give me an update or, you know, every you know, give me a regular update. I only wanted to know when you couldn't move forward any further. And that's all I wanted. And uh, so they were really, really happy. And their level of performance exceeded, exceeded everything I was expecting to the point where I was like, wow, you know, I, uh, I, I think I need to change 
my regular leadership style at working, which I would do. I, uh, my guys would come in and ask me, now I'd stop telling people how to do stuff. And I'd say, this is what I want. Oh. Make it happen. And uh, I uh, I think I helped some guys in their careers later on. They, they would come back and say to me, Coast Guard guys, you know, I really like the fact that you let me just go do this, Mr. Wine. And you didn't sleep, breathe over my shoulder, except for occasionally wanting updates as to how soon it will be done. But, you know, I figure that's a fair request from any boss yeah. to ask what am I going to get my product. So I would say that that was right there. That's really key is um, letting people have enough freedom to perform beyond uh, minimal uh, uh, levels. And they will, um, I would say, most of the time far exceed your, your expectations when they've got that because most PAs, like I said, have that certain level of arrogance and confidence built in them. And, and they're always, they already have a little bit of adapt and overcome. They're just, they feel constantly restricted by, well, basically management. Management is probably the number one restrictive thing for people being able to um, perform uh, above and beyond because they feel that some guy is going to stop them in their tracks uh, when they're moving forward. You know, sometimes things don't work is and, and you know that these guys are working on they oh, you know, I was doing this sir and it just didn't work out and okay we'll find another way and they they, they I would get that look you know you know I'm not going to get yelled at well I don't really have time to yell at you so go figure out another way and make it happen oh we can do it this way all right you know you know run back and you know and step on it and make it happen and, and, and get it turned out and they did all right Adam hey Thanks for joining us today. Uh, I feel like we've just only scratched the surface of the stories that exist in your brain. Sorry uh, but, about that. But we've 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 touched some really interesting ones. So we're going to draw to a close here for for this conversation anyway. Um, but again, thank you very much for for being with us. Oh, my, my pleasure. I, uh, I hope that some of the information I've passed on or, or some of the stories will be useful to folks out there. And, and maybe help guide them and be successful in what they're doing. Thank you, Adam. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Leading in a Crisis podcast. If you like what you're hearing here, then please like and subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star rating. And please tell your friends and colleagues about us as well. And we'll see you again soon on another episode of the Leading in a Crisis podcast. 